I hope everybody is doing great. I'm Anita, one of your hosts. I will be flying solo again today for this episode just because of the topic I'll be doing. Nathan, my husband, will step out, but it was a joint decision on us wanting to get this episode out there this week. And we just felt like this is the right time to kind of help those families out that are just, you know, overwhelmed and at a loss on where to even begin with getting started and homeschooling. I wanted to do this episode, but be more like straight to the point with my, with the steps that I feel like could help you get going in a non-stressful way. So that is the plan for today. I will be also reading from my notes quite a bit because I wanted to make sure I don't miss some of the good points that will, again, help you get up and going hopefully sooner than later. So I'm, we're hoping that this can help make things slightly easier because that's, that's what we all do in this homeschool community. We all are here to support each other and to encourage each other and we want to make sure we're a part of that for you guys. So make sure that you get yourself a paper and pencil to take notes as I go through the steps. I'm actually going to say like step one, step two. So if you're like me, you may want to go ahead and write it down while you're listening. Or if you're just like, Anita, please, this is just too much. Then you can always email us at the homeschool project podcast at gmail.com. And I can send you a typed up checklist of these steps I'm about to go into. And hopefully that can help again, alleviate some stress from you. So let's get right into it. Step one, make the decision. Simple, right? (laughs) No. All right. So you kind of need to make a pros and cons list of homeschooling versus traditional school. Figure out what your priority is for your family. And basically this is what is going to be turning into your why. Why why would you want to send your kids to the brick and mortar school? I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying think of that. Put that down. What are the pros to sending them back to school that they've been going to? Okay, now put the cons. What are all the things that are working against us if we do this? Which I think, you know, it's just going to depend whatever your school's plan is. What are the things that didn't sit well with you and write those down? All right. On the flip side. Okay. If we homeschool, what are going to be the pros and cons with that? Make that list. And then after you make your list, sit there and think like, okay, now what is more important to us? What is it in the end that we just as a family feel is the most important goal for our kids. And once you've come to that decision, I feel like that should help hopefully guide you in which way to go. I'm not saying that one is going to be easier than the other. If you think that homeschooling is really heavy in your heart, like this is what you guys need to do for your kids. I'm not saying it's going to be an easy decision. I understand that. But for you to just understand and and come to terms with, okay, what is our why? It's going to help you get through the next year once you make that decision, whichever direction that is. And if you do need help in figuring out your why behind either decision, you can check out our episodes 23 and 24. And we kind of go through, you know, what are the things you need to consider when figuring out your why behind something? And then In episode 24, we talk about how we came 
to our decision of homeschooling and how we came to our major like why behind it. And listening to those might help your thought process go in one direction or the other. So step two, if you made it to step two, it's because you decided, yes, we're going to homeschool. Now you need to know your state's laws. All right. So don't skip step two, people. You've got to figure out what your state laws are. They are, they are different from state to state. I'd like to say all around there are very similar things across the nation and in others, not so much. So you need to figure out what your state is going to require of you. There is an organization called, called HSLDA and it stands for Homeschool Legal Defense Association. I'm going to put that in the show notes. These are your go-to people in knowing your legal rights as a homeschooling parent. They do, just be aware, they do have a membership option. You do not have to be a member to be able to see the information that is provided. You can still go onto their website as a non-member and be able to look at what they provide as free information for your legal rights. I'm not a member and I still found it very helpful and useful because the Department of Education of your school district, they're they're not going to be looking out for the parent that wants to homeschool. Just keep that in mind. So you want to get your information from from the people that are there to support the homeschooling parents. And this is one of those organizations and they are all about the legal part of it. You want to go through them on seeking guidelines on what to send into your school district. You actually want to avoid contacting your local school district when possible and just mail whatever you can as opposed to like going in person or calling them. I know it sounds funny, but it's again, you're going to hear that a lot from many homeschooling families, especially the veteran homeschooling families, they'll tell you, you know, avoid as much contact as possible with the school district and try to do everything through mail because you have to keep in mind that it is the public school's job to keep students enrolled. So you deciding to homeschool is not in their best interest. I hear mixed stories. I hear some districts that they gave the, the parents a heck of a time when they wanted to withdraw their child and submit the required paperwork stating, I'm going to be, it's, it's called an NOI letter, which is notice of intent letter. You're just basically telling this, the district, my child will not be attending and to excuse them from attendance. And there have been some districts that really do give families a hard time, which is so sad. And that is why they have said, try to do everything via mail and then just make sure you're doing everything the legally the correct way. If you do it legally the correct way, you've got yourself covered. Remember that. My school district, I had no problems at all. So I'm, I'm, again, it's not everywhere. There's maybe a handful. I don't know, but I've heard both sides. My experience has been great, but even though my district is wonderful and easy to work with, I still do minimal contact and I do everything via mail and certified mail. I like when I send in my letter, I make sure I get the, uh, it's like the little green slip when you, from the UPS store, you ask for it to be certified mail and you want to get a receipt that it was 
signed and who signed it so that you have a copy of that. So you can talk to the, I forget the name. I don't think I'm saying it correctly if it's certified mail, but certified mail with like a, a receipt signature or something like that. So if you visit HSLDA's website and on the front page, you scroll down a little bit, they have this section called get started on your homeschool journey. I just looked this up yesterday. So this is correct in what I'm telling you. Click on homeschool laws by state. And then from there, you'll be able to click on your state and they will tell you things like how to withdraw from public school any homeschooling requirements for your state, such as how to notify your school district, any mandatory subjects, any mandatory hours you have to meet within the school year, and whether or not testing, um, standardized testing will be required at the end of the school year. Make sure you also check if your state requires the parents that will be actually homeschooling their child. I'm saying this because some parents in, in some states you can homeschool and use like a charter homeschool or you can get like a private tutor. So again, look at your, your, your state's laws and see if you're allowed to do that. But if you, the parent are the one going to be schooling your child, some states may uh, require that you have a high school diploma or a college degree. So you need to check all that out because that could definitely affect your decision right there. Also see if your state has a statewide homeschool support and information network website. I know that's a mouthful right there. It's the best way I can describe that. And one that actually follows HSLDA's guidelines so that you know that they're it's a homeschool support network, but that they're actually helping parents do things correctly and legally. So in Ohio, we have Ohio homeschooling parents, and that is a homeschool support network that just basically helps the homeschooling community in the state, which is an amazing resource because they actually provide us with steps to notify the district, like step by step. And then they even give us blank letters for us to basically just fill out our information and submit that to the school district. And then they even provide us like a list of portfolio assessors that we can use at the end of the year, which portfolio assessors, I'll get to that. I guess I might as well just do it now, right? So basically at the end of the year, most states, again, you have to check your state. I can't speak for everybody, but most states will require you to either submit composite test scores from a, like a national standardized test or that you can have a portfolio done, which is basically like you collect your child's work over the course of the school year and it shows the, the progress that they've made hopefully. And then a certified teacher and they're usually, they have to be a certified teacher of that state typically will review the portfolio and discuss with you, uh, areas that maybe your child could work on. And if you have concerns or questions, you can talk to them about that. But basically most of the states will require one of those two. And sometimes like in our state, we can 
choose one or the other. And so this website actually does provide us with a list of certified teachers that can do that, which is again, wonderful. It makes life easier for us. So you can see if your state has something like that. All right. So let me make sure I don't miss something here. Oh, and just a side note that usually these portfolio assessors, these that are certified teachers, they're actually homeschooling parents themselves, which is wonderful because they're they're on this journey and they they kind of know what to look for and they know that this type of education that we choose this style of learning which is very different from the brick and mortar and most of them had been teachers before they started homeschooling their children and then I wanted to also say that time for learning website has some helpful information as well and what to look for with the state requirements. So I'm going to put that in the show notes. All right, now we are on to step three. This is where you want to plug deadlines into your calendar. It's a very simple step, but to me, it's very important. So you don't miss anything. The HSLDA website should have the deadline requirement of submitting paperwork to the district for your state. So for Ohio, it says that we have to have it in no later than the first week of public of the public school that we are zoned for. Basically, I have to go and figure out the public school that I'm zoned for. When is their first week of school? This is the deadline that I have to have my paperwork into the district, like no later than that time. So I, I also go ahead then and then just mark on my calendar that, you know, this is, make sure I, I'll, I'll usually put like, I'd say like two weeks before that deadline is, whatever that deadline is for you specifically. I'll make a note in my calendar two weeks before that saying, start getting the paperwork together that is needed and make sure I get it mailed off by this day to the district. And then I'll go ahead and also mark in April, so in spring, to work on the end of the year assessment, whatever it is that the state is requiring so that I don't forget to be working on that at the end of the school year. Those are my two cents for that step. And that will bring us into step number four. So now it's time to decide on curriculum. As you may already be aware, there is an abundance of curriculum choices out there. So here's my quick suggestion. First, at least the first year, see if there is a style of learning that you like. And these are what are known as the homeschool methods. And when you're considering what method that you may like, there's two things that roll into that. And that is thinking about what you think the, how you think your child learns, because I know I I do real, I'm saying how you think, because you may be like, I really don't know how my child learns. That is okay. You had somebody else doing it all these other years. So that is completely understandable. And that's why the first year may be like a trial and error as as best you can make on that decision. Consider how you think they learn best and then how you want your, your learning style to look. And if you need help with that, and then you want to know more information about the common styles of learning, then listen to episodes, our episodes 29, 
30 and 31. Yes, it was a three-part mini-series, but it's because I, I was trying to go over six different methods. The episode 29, just so you know, is very short. It's like 15 minutes and it basically explains a little more into what is a homeschool method because you start looking into homeschooling. You're like, what the heck is a homeschool method? I've never heard this terminology before. So that basically explains that. And also on episode 29, I include in the show notes, uh, so I think it was like two or three links to homeschool style quizzes that you can take if you want to take those quizzes and, and they give you results on how they feel, what methods may work best for you based on your answers. And then episodes 30 and 31, I actually go into the six more common methods of homeschooling. And I say more common, the six more common ones, because there are actually many more methods of learning, but these are the the six most popular ones. So I do three in episode 30 and three in episode 31. And for both of those episodes, if you find that there is a method that you actually are like, oh, this sounds great. I think I might want to try this with our family. I did try to put in a fair amount of curriculum options that follow those methods in the show notes. So you can check that out. You can also check out, I am <laughs> laughing because I say this, you guys are going to be like, Anita, how many times do you say this in an episode? But you can also check out Kathy Duffy's book, 102 Top Picks for Homeschool Curriculum and her website. I, I'm going to just say that all the time because I, she, it's such a wonderful book. How can I not mention it? And if you haven't looked into it yet, then do so because you're probably tired of me bringing it up. But I used that when I started my homeschool journey and it was awesome because she will break down the methods for you also in that book and then you can take her quiz. I did her quiz in the book. I actually didn't do the ones online and it was a good um, it was good guidance in what direction I thought I was going to go in and then she lists like literally 102 curriculum and she then breaks it down like this curriculum is going to be you know better for this type of learner and or not so much for this type of learner so I felt it's very helpful because even if like if you think your child uh, needs more hands-on approach for math, she'll she'll have some math curriculums that say that on there. Or but then maybe on another subject, they're they're gonna want more traditional learning. So check those resources out and make sure you have any required subjects from your state included in your curriculum. It can be so exciting to think like, yes, we have freedom, but you do still have to make sure you meet those requirements for your state. And even if you unschool, I said this in our, um, in the methods episode number 31, I go over the unschooling method and they really don't have a true curriculum. But I, I mentioned in there that even as an unschooling child, if you have a, a state that has requirements that you have to meet, you still need to then keep track and record the resources or the experiences used to meet those state requirements. So just keep a, a running log. All right, now we're gonna move on to step five. 
order books, materials, and supplies needed, right? So you got your curriculum and you're like, I think I do. It's okay. Remember, you're also not stuck in it. The beauty of homeschooling is you can change things if it's not working. So keep that in mind. But you do at some point have to make that decision. There's just so many that you don't want to keep going round and round and round. At some point, you just got to be like, okay, we're going to try this one. So, But step five would be to go ahead now and order all the materials that you're going to need. I, by doing this, I basically go through my curriculum that I have chosen. So I go through the different subjects to help figure out what are the things that we're gonna need that the the book or the curriculum or whatever it is that I'm following um, is saying that we're gonna need. So, I mean, as simple as geography, we're going to need a map or a globe. So start writing that down. When you go through your subjects, be like, okay, I'm gonna need this, this, and this. That's, it's the easiest way for me to, to help you out with that one. My list of supplies, actually, if like, so if you want to, if you need a little help, that's what I'm trying to say, on what maybe school supplies, when you're thinking like office supplies, you know, staple, glue, crayons, that type thing. If you want help with that, I can include that in the getting started checklist if you email me. So I'll, I'll go ahead and attach that with that as well. And you can always purchase supplies as you go. So if you have like the bare minimum and you're like, okay, I think we can survive with this the first couple weeks, then do that. And then as you go, you're gonna learn like, oh gosh, we, we need this. Or, oh gosh, Anita, I did not need a pack of 20 glue sticks. So don't do that either, because <laughs> I did that last year. <laughs> and then remember, when you're making your list of what books you're gonna need, check your local library and see if they have any of those books or anything similar. And if not, then go to a used bookstore or a used book website. Uh, even Amazon. Amazon now has the, well, I say now, but I think they've always had this. They have. I think Nathan was explaining to me that Amazon started as like a, a book sales website. But you can look for a book on Amazon and a lot of the time there's the used book option. And that's what I've done almost. So I, I, I rarely ever have to buy a brand new book. So there is that option and keep that in mind so that it can be more budget friendly. We are on to step number six. Not too bad. Not too bad. Again, I'm trying not to drag it out, but still hit some important points here. Create a schedule. My suggestion is to decide if you want to do year round or follow more of the typical school calendar, which is a 36 week school year. Deciding that will help you to figure out how you're going to spread your learning across the year. You can see if your curriculum provides an outline and if not, this is how I would break it down. Okay. So create your weekly schedule. That'd be, that's, that's basically gonna be the, the key to this. Figure out how many days a week you will do a subject and arrange them on like a blank template with Monday through Friday going across the top. I think, again, if you're gonna email me for this checklist for this supply list, I think I can quickly find a, a template that if you want that as well, I can throw that in there too for to help you figure out your schedule. It's gonna be blank. I'm not gonna figure out the schedule for you. Although one day I would love to do that, so we'll see how that goes. So get something like that where it's like this this grid, right? And you have Monday through Friday across the top, and then you've got all these boxes underneath for the dis different subjects. 
And if you're here saying, well, uh, how many days a week is a subject, Anita? A lot of the curriculums will actually tell you how often to do each subject. So let's say for science, our book told us to do it twice a week. It actually said that at the beginning of the book. And then you have your core subjects that will typically be daily, like math, reading, writing, and then if you're going to incorporate religion, many of us do like to have religion every day, so that would be another daily subject. Then for us, we did grammar three days a week, U.S. history two days, ancient history two days, science two days, geography three days, literature three days, and then art, music study, picture study, Spanish, and Nature Day were all one day a week. So that's just an example of how we broke up our subjects and how often we did them. My suggestion is plugging all your daily subjects into that blank template first, right? Because those daily subjects, again, are typically your core subjects and to me is like what you really want to focus on. So plug them in first and then you'll just basically evenly distribute the other subject. So if grammar is three days a week, you may want to do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we have grammar. Or if you like your Fridays to be a lighter load, or if you're going to be one of those families like us that only schools four days a week, then you could do, if you're doing grammar three days a week, you could do it on Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. That's just an example. Creating this weekly overview is going to help give you structure to your days. It, I'm not saying that you have to feel like you're set in stone to a schedule, but it is very nice to have some sort of structure, some sort of outline to your learning. It just, I feel like it's gonna bring you sanity and then kids actually, I feel like for the most part, do work better with with some sort of, I'm gonna say it again, structure. <laughs> That's the best way I can say that. Now, if your state requires a certain amount of hours of learning per school year and you have to record it. I'm saying and you have to record it because we are required, I think it's like 900 hours a year, but we don't actually have to keep tally of the hours. If you live in a state though that does make you do that, then this is where writing times into your schedule may actually be helpful as far as record keeping goes. So like for math, you would plug in on, on, if you had, again, Monday through Friday going across the top, you finally filled in what days you'll be doing what subjects. So then on the left-hand side of your paper going vertically, you could plug in your times. And so maybe you'll have math from like nine to 9.30. But do not feel you are tied to any schedule. Remember that. That's that's if you find it helpful to at least start off with. So for me, when I started homeschooling for the first time, I did have that schedule. I'm also a type A personality, but I did have that type of schedule where I put all the times down for all of our subjects of the week. And it did give me peace of mind when I was first starting off because to me it was like, it was my comfort zone. Like, okay, I didn't wake up being like, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? How are we gonna start? What are we doing today? You know, I woke up and I was like, I did this. 
All right, we've got breakfast and religion first, people. Then we've got circle time. And now we're going to go into math. And I have it here. And by putting the times down when I started off, it also kind of helped keep me, it held me accountable to get through the subjects and then to not linger too long in the subjects either. Because I was myself was trying to figure out how long to go with each subject. And it really doesn't have to be that long. Remember that either. Kids' attention spans are not that long. So you don't want to be going on and on and on and you've already lost them. They're not, they're, it's, you know, twi usually 20 minutes in and, and they're done. My point is I did that at the beginning and then eventually I, I stopped. Like I no longer wrote the times in and then we no longer were looking at the clock, but it was just like a very natural flow that we fell into that rhythm. And the rhythm is what is going to be very helpful. I am planning to do an episode on organization in the near future, but we're just keeping it simple today to avoid overwhelming you. So if you're interested in getting more tips on organization, just be on the lookout for that. This will then bring us to step number seven. Figure out where you want your learning space. All right. It's going to be pretty simple here. Do you, are you going to be the family that you want uh, the dining table as your learning space? Or are you going to have a designated room because you have that capability to have a spare room for that or luxury? Or are you going to do it in a room like a big family room where you can split it off or just the corner of a different room? Whatever it is, even if you do learning throughout your entire home like we do, because we don't just stick to one place in our house. Again, that's the beauty of homeschooling. But even if you're just all over the place, at the very least, I recommend figuring out where to put your supplies. Where are you going to put all of the children's books and notebooks and writing utensils and art supplies that again, at the very least, just have a designated area for that. And that will, I feel like help with your stress level. <laughs> so, but I did want to at least remind you though, that even if you have a designated space, so we did end up creating, we ended up bunking our two boys so that we could have a extra room. And I do love having a learning space, like a designated learning space, but we are not tied to this area. So we start in the kitchen and then we come here after the kitchen and then we're here for a little bit and then we go all over the place. Like we go to the living room, the family room, they're on the floor, they're on the couches. We go outside when the weather's beautiful, always love to go outside. You can take your learning with you, go to a park. So keep that in mind again. They're going to do better because that's one of the reasons why we, we pulled them from brick and mortar too, is that kids don't do well sitting at a desk all day. I mean, we don't as adults, so why would they? We're now going to move on to step number eight, find support groups. You are never alone in this homeschooling community. I, ha I learned that very quickly in my research and have continued to learn that. And now we're doing this podcast. So that tells you we we're doing this because we believe in the community and helping each other. I feel it is so important to surround yourself with other homeschooling families for that support and encouragement. And I'm talking online and eventually in person support groups, finding local Homeschool support groups are helpful when you need guidance in submitting paperwork to the state or any other requirements. 
So again, we've, I found that Ohio homeschooling parents website, and that has been supportive in, you know, whenever I have questions with any requirements, I can throw it out there. And many people are there to help answer that. Local groups are also beneficial to know what resources and events are in your area, right? So this is going to include your homeschool co-op groups or meetup groups. You can find those typically on Facebook or just searching online in a search engine like Google. Then there's also Instagram that has all kinds of homeschooling people to connect with and have all kinds of homeschooling ideas. Pinterest You've got all kinds. That's another great resource as well. Pinterest and I I almost forgot YouTube. YouTube is starting to come up on the rise too with homeschooling families putting videos out there to support one another. And then you've got your podcasts such as ours and blogs. You're going to have good days and you will have trying or challenging days. And that is when having a support group can really help you get through those times and remind you that we all have those days or even those phases in life. I mean, it may not even be a day. It may be a phase. And the one that comes to mind is you just had a baby. That's a phase. It's not going to be a challenging day. That's going to be a challenging phase. And there are many moms out there that have had babies, newborns, and had multiple kids and still find needing to find ways to keep the whole ship afloat. So this is when, those are the times that you're going to be like, why am I doing this? Why did I decide to do this? And those are normal feelings. We all feel that. But then we're all going to be right here to remind you that it's all worth it. It is a beautiful journey. I I just am so firm in that. And it is totally worth any headaches that will come your way and you're going to see that, but you're going to also come and turn to your community for support and encouragement. And then lastly, step nine, we made it to the last step. Find ways for your kid to socialize, right? I know that's on everybody's, you know, list there of like, but what about socialization? And there are plenty of ways for them to socialize. Okay, before I go into these examples, you do have to understand that we're in a very abnormal year with COVID. So a lot of the things I'm about to list may temporarily have changed, may be on hold because of where you live. But when you look into those you know, socialization opportunities and you're like, okay, but these co-ops are shut down this year or there's no sports happening. Remember everybody, that's everybody else too, though. So no other kids in your county can, are having sports either, even the kids going to school. So keep that in mind when I go through this list that this is going to be a very abnormal year, but normally under normal circumstances, these are the different things that you can look into for your child to be involved with. All right, so as I mentioned before, local homeschool meetup groups or a homeschool co-op that preferably meets once a week I feel like that is a wonderful thing to have with your family if they meet once a week or at least then if not, then every other week is still better than nothing so that your kids will get to know the same group of kids at these meetups because you can sign up for homeschool classes 
but those kids are going to change all the time and then they don't get to really form those friendships. They're socializing, so that's still important. But if you are looking for them to form friendships, then that's when you want to look for those uh, homeschool meetup groups or co-ops that meet regularly because then it's going to be the same families. Then you've got your sports, dance, theater, instrument lessons. Then there's clubs like 4-H or the Lego club or a book club or an art club. Homeschool classes that are offered at local parks, library, or museums. These are all examples of what I know are in my area. Maybe you have more or maybe you have less, but this is what you want to start digging into. You want to just search all of these suggestions and see what comes up in your area. But other than that, I feel like that pretty much sums it up for your steps and getting started, your A to Z, your roadmap, whatever you want to call it. I feel like if you follow these nine steps, it's going to be a, a pretty decent foundation to get going and to, to at least know what to expect on, on getting started. And if you are still on the fence or needing some encouragement, then may I suggest to listen to our previous episode, episode 32, Debunking Homeschooling Fears with Help from Certified Educators. We recorded that episode with my two sisters that are teachers and to basically go over those very common fears that many of us have at the beginning and to continue have throughout our homeschooling journey, which is like, what if I fail my child? Can I do this? Am I qualified? Aren't the schools more equipped to do this? We, this episode was created for that. So if you're needing, if you have those questions and that is like really stopping you from taking that leap of faith, then may I suggest listening to it and see if that helps. I hope it helps. That is really our hope. And like I said, if you didn't take notes, but you are interested in having that typed up checklist and that supply list, then email me and I will send that your way. And uh, make sure you check out the show notes. And I think that's it, guys. I hope this helped. I really do. Um, I know sometimes I stumble, but my heart is here to help you guys. And if you have any other questions at all, then please do not hesitate to email us. We are there. We love it. This is why we created this. And I wish everybody the best of luck on this upcoming school year and whatever decision you make. 